0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University
2: and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio.
3: Like Marion, you
2: too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn.
1: I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset.
2: Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate.
3: Today's program is brought to you by MoFAD, the museum of food and drink. For more information, visit mofad.org. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting
0: live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org
2: for thousands more.
1: Food Scene is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit, and member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. And go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart on the top right to donate. Do it now. I'm your host, Michael harlan Turkel, and you're listening to The Food Scene on heritageradionetwork.org here today with Kristen Donnelly, and we're having a modern potluck. Well, we're having snacks right now, and we'll build out this meal soon. Um... This this is an amazing new book that came out, and it really made me kind of reframe and rethink about how we eat as people, as society. Um, And we're going to start with the political aspect of politics first, after having just seen RNC, DNC, um, and talk about the power of bringing people together over food. Um, Hello, Kristen.
2: Hello, Michael. (laughs) First
1: of all, congratulations! This is book release day.
2: Thank you. My first cookbook.
1: You know. I, I love having my show on Tuesday because I, I, I get to enjoy this with you, and I, I've known you for a long time in your career at Food and Wine, and um, all your Food and Wine pleasures, uh, you know that you've partaken in. And th- this is part pleasure, part work because, you know, a potluck is saying, "Yes, I want to enjoy this food with you all," but it's also saying, "Can you help me cook?" Yes. <laughs> what does it really yes. mean to you?
2: Can you help me cook or yeah, having a potluck? Having
1: a potluck in general.
2: Well, having a potluck is just that. I think it's like uh, I tell a personal story in the book. Basically, after my daughter was born, I no longer felt like I could throw the old dinner parties I used to. I could barely you know, go out to restaurants. I couldn't afford a babysitter. So my solution to being able to have a social life was have a potluck. And so, yeah, essentially tell my friends, like, please bring a dish and then we'll all get together and then we can all have fun. Um, and that's how it began.
1: Well let's talk about the socio political stuff too, just because it's it's on everyone's mind right now. Bernie Sanders yes. raised over twenty-five million dollars, what was it, last April through this this amazing grassroots way of, of doing so. Yes. Potlucks.
2: Yes. I don't know if he raised the entire twenty five million, but that was his I will fact check it. Yeah, let's just say that was it. his total <laughs> that was his total amount raised in April and part of The efforts in April was um, dime with the 99%, and I believe that that um, came about after people found out that um, Hillary Clinton was having a fundraiser, George Clooney was throwing it, and I think uh, seats were something like $200,000 per. So Bernie supporters said, let's have potlucks, donate what you can, Um, and yeah, I mean, he did a phenomenal job raising money from small donors.
1: Black Lives Matter. Yes. Supporters um, on on both sides, you know, in in the African-American community and, and the police were putting barbecues together so they can come together as a society.
2: Yes. I mean, I. okay, so maybe 10 days ago, I wrote a piece and I said, in my fantasy world, Black Lives Matter supporters and police officers would come together at a potluck. And sure, they would disagree and it might be passionate, but hey, maybe they can find some common ground. Um, and then I think it was the next day, two days later, I read the story about um, the story that went viral in Wichita, Kansas, where the police and Black Lives Matter um, supporters came together and did just that. And I was super excited. Um, and then I've I've been following potlucks online, and I'll see other little um, potlucks for peace come up to talk about diversity issues, et cetera. So it can be done, which is, you know, to me, a very exciting and not why I wrote this book necessarily, but...
1: But it resonates on so many levels. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you said people come together disagreeing. And yes, that is democracy. But at the same time, that is family. Right. And you grew up in a large family outside yeah. of Philadelphia. And what, birthday parties, holidays, everyone would come together. Yes. C- uh, casseroles, I'm assuming?
2: You know, it wasn't... There weren't so many casseroles. There was the green bean casserole at Thanksgiving, um, but there often is a seven-layer salad. Um, There's often onion dip made with packaged seasoning. Um, And then various vegetables. Not as much the Midwestern casserole, um, and certainly not with tater tots on top. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, I feel like there were some of those, like, holdover dishes from when I'm at the 70s. Yeah,
1: well, I'm, explain to me, because I, I've never been in the presence of a seven-layer salad before. Really, is, Michael? Is it, is it really. a salad? Is it a dip?
2: So if you will take a look at the back cover of the book, which, you know, you can do. Our listeners might not be able to, but it, it's essentially a salad. I've, I've also heard it called a, an icebox salad, where you layer the ingredients, and then the idea is that you either toss it together right before you serve it, or you, like, dig down to reach... Everything. And the dressing is on top. It's usually creamy and thick, so it doesn't soak down so all the vegetables stay nice and crisp.
1: Yeah, it's a crunchy trifle.
2: (laughs) It's It's, totally a trifle. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it it got me
1: thinking, and I know you explore this in the book, especially with your chapter all about 9 by 13 pans. You know, it, it is about the dish itself. Um, not necessarily the ingredients always, but you know what you serve it in makes it communal. Yes. So let's talk about what dishes you have, what are versatile, and um, what you like bringing to other people's houses.
2: Sure. I mean, let's see, there's the fantasy version and then the real version and the <laughs> fantasy version.
1: That's like fantasy land today.
2: Well, the fantasy land is. Um, you know, beautiful platters and cookware I would buy from Food52. And I do have some of those. But what I reach for pretty often is the 9x13 Pyrex pan. Um, It has a lid on it, so it's really easy to transport. I have some OXO bowls that have lids. um, But really, any brand of mixing bowl that has a lid, I I really like. Um, And i think those are my two go-tos whether it's salad or like a baked good or again a casserole that pyrex pan's super versatile
1: yeah and you know when you talk about those type of items it, it seems a little homey like tupperware parties mm-hmm. but you worked at food and wine for what six years eight, was eight, eight. years yeah time flies <laughs> um with some of the top chefs in the world yep. uh, learning about you know their their flavor profiles their techniques and What's great is you're imbuing what what's once seen as this familiar way of cooking for relatives um, and and really upping that you know upping that game
2: hmm.
1: uh, not only with ingredients but also you know recipes
2: yeah thank you that was the goal actually just to take this stor- sort of stodgy genre of food and make it um, more fun more modern more you know using our the great pantry of ingredients uh, many of us have access to even outside of the city, um, whether health food ingredients like whole grain flours or more international ingredients like Harissa. So,
1: so I mean, we're going to step back for a second talk about that kind of cost of cooking, you know, mm-hmm. uh, about being a, a new mom, you didn't have time, you didn't have hands.
2: <laughs> right, yeah, hands. Patience.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was that first foray into potlucking that made you think that this could be something more than just convenience for yourself?
2: Um, I think it was almost a desperation feeling, like uh, desperation, and maybe even a slight depression. Like I was like, I don't see my friends ever. And um, we barely have any money to like for our regular child care. So then have extra child care to go out to dinner just seems extravagant. So um, yeah, I really think it came out of desperation. And then to be honest, I just, I think I floated the idea by my agent and, um, he was like, that's it. That's your book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In desperation comes the idea. (laughs) But you know, the idea of one dish becoming this exponential meal, um, where do you start as not just a cook, but an author, you know, in in a project like this?
2: Oh man. Um, always starts with a list, right? And, I just thought what makes an ideal potluck dish it's something that can hold up on a table for at least a half hour hopefully longer something that can be transported somewhat easily Um, and something that's crowd-pleasing and I think for a long time crowd-pleasing meant like tons of cheese and dairy Um, and while that still holds true now you know there's just more variety in what people will like
1: and there are plenty of lactose intolerant
2: oh yes and that's what you're
1: wonderfully you know aware and tolerant of in this book too is that there are dietary restrictions mm-hmm. so how how do you plan a menu for people that i mean you do know and don't know uh, um personally in their eating habits
2: yeah i think each potluck is case by case because um, i you know i i think the people i have potlucks with the most eat everything and that's really fun um but then when there are restrictions, I, as a host, I try to be mindful, and um, I, I try to tell guests. And I think it also depends on how extreme that intolerance is. Like, if it's, you know, something where somebody will truly be ill versus they just don't like to eat it. because. Um, Hopefully, the, the idea of a potluck is there's so many dishes people can pick and choose.
1: And they can't blame just one person. Exactly. Well, I mean, they can, but there are that many other people there. To... And
2: they'll bring something that they'll eat. So
1: That's um, true. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. <laughs> um, when, whenever I potluck, uh, I maybe this is cheating, but I, I like to bring a condiment or a sauce that I make.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you bring something to serve with it? For the most
1: part, yeah. yeah but I, I like leaving a leaf behind.
2: Oh, I see. Like yeah. A, as it doubles as a host yeah, gift? Yeah, you, you, or... kind of,
1: you either use it or you say, you know, you keep this and oh, they have I the see. option yeah. of using it. Um, maybe every once in a while, that's all I bring.
2: Got it. Some vinegar. Yeah, I have plenty of that.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, what are your ideal dishes to bring to a potluck today when it's a balmy, you know, 95 degrees out?
2: Well, I do... I actually really love potato salad. Um, and I it, in this kind of weather, I would bring a cold potato salad. Actually, um, I had a Pollock recently where I brought a potato salad and it had radishes and dill and it was had a ton of vinegar. So I think um, that's appropriate if you can keep it chilled. Um, if you can bear to get yourself in front of the grill, I would bring a platter of grilled vegetables with a homemade condiment, like a green, like a salsa verde or a pesto. Um, and then certainly any kind of... No cook salad or low cook salad, even the um, seven layer salad we were talking about, it does involve cooking quinoa, but um, otherwise, everything else is raw and really crisp.
1: Yeah, and you get to dig in and crunch away.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Excellent. We're going to take a quick break and then come back to the modern potluck on the food scene. We'll be right back.
3: Hi, this is Peter Kim, the Executive Director of MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network, and we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened MOFAD Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing Flavor, Making It and Faking It. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. Flavor tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami. And the Willy Wonka-inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MoFad Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at mofad.org.
1: Hey, and welcome back to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harland-Turkel, here with Kristen Donnelly and Modern Potluck, The Cookbook. I, I say that like it's it's this big movement, but it is. I mean, what you're trying to do here is is bring people together, not only, you know, um, bring them out of their own comfort zone and houses, but together to enjoy and explore food while having a conversation, hopefully, about bigger and better things as well but let, let, let's get to the nitty-gritty and let's talk about the food specifically my new obsession slab pies
2: Slab pie. i don't mm-hmm. think i
1: really ever explored the genre of slab pie it could be sweet it could be savory mm-hmm. tell me about uh you know what a slab pie is and how amazing, how amazing it must it be i have not had one yet oh, but man I'm i wish going i brought home. you
2: some, michael So a slab pie is certainly not anything that I invented, but it's a pie that's baked on a baking sheet. Um, Some people call it the crust lover's pie because the ratio of filling to crust is, um, you know, there's a lot more crust. Um, And it's a way to serve a lot of people dessert, and you can cut it into squares and eat it with your hands. It's like a giant Pop-Tart. Um, And, yeah, it can go savory. Justin Chappell, who is still at Food & Wine, um, did an awesome recipe for a Swiss chard flat pie. Um, And I did a peach blueberry. But, really, you can vary the fillings with the season.
1: Another thing I forgot to tell you about my pot is that I also like to bring things that you can eat with your hands.
2: Oh, yeah. Totally.
1: So, I, I kind of combed through your book and tried to pick all those out, and um, let's talk about Daniel Gritzer, aside yes. from him being just a sweet and genuine person, yes. uh, came to you with tacos. Yes. Which, yes, are amazing and great, but not necessarily the most transportable thing.
2: Well, until he discovered <laughs> tacos... dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, tacos de Canesta. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but... Um, Tacos that are assembled in a—we have them in a Dutch um, oven—and they are all sort of baked together. And then you—you can transport it. Hopefully, the vessel will keep it hot for long enough for you to get to your destination. And then you pull them out. Now you can eat them with your hands. It's a little messy though because they're saucy on the outside slightly. It's like a dried sauciness Um, that doesn't sound appealing, but it's actually (laughs) really delicious. And, yeah, it was brilliant. It was something he had in Mexico City, and I had already asked him to contribute something to the book, and he came back, and he's like, this is what's going in. So, So,
1: you know, you have this influence of so many other people in this book. Um, There's an amazing sriracha pimento cheese from Angie Moser. Mm -hmm. Um, Who did you reach out to? Who who were the people that you were most interested to hear from when it came to potlucking?
2: So... Some of the recipes, this uh, pimento cheese is my own recipe, but it was inspired by um, my time at Food & Wine. And there were some favorites, like that uh, pimento cheese was just a staff favorite. Um, And there were just little uh, things, like there is a mushroom bolognese from Sarah Grunenberg um, that I loved, and I ended up including a version of that sauce in a lasagna, so taking tweaks from other chefs. And then I actually have recipes contributed contributed by um other mostly other food writers so and bloggers specifically molly yay who has the blog "Ah, my name is yay she has scallion pull apart rolls in there anna watson carl who has the yellow table she did uh, a beautiful tian she loves french food so that was her choice um and i think there's about eight outside contributed recipes
1: Yeah, I mean, we're going to keep talking about food, but I also want to note that batch cocktails and punches. Oh, uh uh-huh. Because, I mean, it's not to say that you can't drink during a potluck. Right. And, you know, you ask everyone to bring a bottle of wine and beer, but to have this communal thing that everyone enjoys together.
2: Yeah, I think that's fun.
1: Tell me about your favorite batch cocktails and punches.
2: Sure. So, actually, today at 7 o'clock, I will be at um, Powerhouse Arena in Dumbo and serving one of my favorite... Um, Cocktails—it's easy to batch out, and it's dry riesling, gin, and then a little simple syrup to balance it, and then just sliced limes and cucumbers over ice. It's so simple, and I feel like it's a drink that tastes more like more like more than the sum of its parts. Um, so that's certainly one I do like using wine as a base because I feel like it's just—it's refreshing and it's not too boozy in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean. It is important to drink while you eat and enjoy in that way. Um, and you've simplified so many things, like deviled eggs, that, you know, you don't necessarily need a steady hand to to transport those. No. Uh, and it's ingenious because that is one of those things you see at barbecues, et cetera, that you just see destroyed if it came from someplace other than where you're having it.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I do know some people who love deviled eggs so much they have a specific deviled egg carrier. They're always <laughs> the deviled egg bringers. But if you are not that person, um, I usually like to take the egg whites, stack them in some kind of Tupperware container, put the filling in a Ziploc or resealable plastic bag. And then when you get to the party, snip off the corner so you can pipe in the filling um, and impress your friends. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, what other shortcuts do you have for people uh, that would impress somebody in, in assemblage alone?
2: Um, I think any kind of like finish, like garnishing um can be impressive and whether it's something you serve alongside for people to like tinker to taste or just at the, at the end as a final flourish, I think it adds vibrancy to a dish um, and then just makes it more visually appealing. So people are more drawn to eat it.
1: What have you seen brought to a potluck and you're like, damn, that is a genius idea.
2: Mm. Oh man. I've seen, I don't know if it was genius, but uh, it was different. <laughs> but I've seen people actually try to come and they bring all their mise en place. And this is a real foodie potluck. But, you know, and then they, like, assemble this little tiny bite to taste. I don't actually recommend that, um, you know, some kind of uh, tasting menu style amuse. Um, but I've seen it done and it can be done. I'm um, trying to think what else would be.
1: See, I, I, think that is, is defeat, I think that defeats the point of, of having a potluck. I because, agree. I you know, you agree. want to put something on the table and be able to walk away and it. You want it to exist
2: in this way. Yeah,
1: this, this was way. past. Yeah. No, no, that's yeah, not... Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, I, I see...
2: show-off-y for my taste. <laughs> and then
1: I see things... But again, you can show off in, in the context of what you're doing in this book without yes. being show-off-y. Right. Um, and I, I look at stuffed poblanos. Um, you know, I look at, you know, even your smoky squash mac and cheese, these iterations on, on stuffed peppers and, and mac and cheese, which, again, just elevate by these techniques that you know and by these flavors that you're trying to introduce. Mm-hmm. So what, I know you mentioned Harissa at the top of the show. What are some of those newer flavors that you're trying to, you know, imbue into the modern potluck?
2: I mean, certainly there's there are a few recipes with kimchi, um, and I recently left New York and moved to the suburbs and you can buy kimchi at the suburban grocery store. So it's very available. Um, and I put it in cornbread, which um, it's so delicious. It, I, it's caramelized and blended into the cornbread batter and it tastes like Doritos. It's really bizarre, and really delicious. And then I also use it to make a um, Caesar-like dressing because I realized that, you know, both... Caesar dressing and kimchi have anchovy, acid, um, umami, and it was just crazy when you blended it together with some mayonnaise, it tastes just like Caesar dressing.
1: So everyone should have kimchi harissa in their potluck pantry. Yes, you never know. (laughs) You know, another tip that I kind of love is the no-bake. Oh. You know, it it, it looks like it's, I was going to say something uh, um, negative about that, but it's not really negative. It's just, it looks like you've done more than you've actually done.
2: Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the enchiladas? I am. Okay, so that um, was that's another example of an idea I got from I'm gonna say I probably mispronounced his name, but Joseph Centeno and in, in LA, and he did really delicious enchiladas that just had more of like a fresh onion and cheese filling, and then topped with these this uh, sofrito, and it was such a like lovely light take on the enchilada. So um, I did a similar. Um, similar, but different, you know, it's, my filling has more peas in it. So it's like this peas and carrots riff and, um, but yeah, they are not baked. Yeah. Kind of amazing.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's the inventiveness of those flavors and those combinations that really, you know, let that dish take a life of its own. Um, you know, what's very cool about you two is that you're an entrepreneur and you have Student Claire, which is all about lip balms Mm -hmm. and, and, and. I'm going to call it lip health.
2: Lip care. Yeah, lip yes. care. Yes.
1: Um, and in that, you you still use these same ideas of, of you know, flavor profiles and flavor combinations. And you know, I'm lucky enough to have just received some Negroni lip balm. Yes. Uh, mint and julep. Uh, but, you know, these flavors carry outside of the culinary world for you. Mm-hmm. Um, like what, how do you draw inspiration from everything that you do into your business sense?
2: So the business idea began because I love lip balm and I just, I wanted something all natural and I felt like there wasn't anything inspiring on the market at the time. I also lived in the East village right around the corner from death and company. And I used to spend probably every Saturday night there, at least before going out. This is pre child, of course. And, um, just, just mixology in general. And that, um, like lovely ritual of it and the way they um the alchemy inspired um making lip balm in that way and then kind of led to all these cocktail inspired flavors i don't do exclusively cocktail ones but they are the most popular and i have one called old-fashioned it's very woodsy and citrusy and i try to do things where it can evoke both a vibe and an actual cocktail
1: yeah i know i saw a summer uh, garden herb one yes, yeah. um Sean Eskinoise, the chocolate maker from somewhere in the Midwest using his cocoa powder. Yep. So very drink and dessert-esque. Yeah. That, um,
2: and I think the beauty industry is moving more in that direction where they care more about where the ingredients come from and um, just w- w- or even what is in your products. So it's it's all just an extension of that, like beauty following food, I think.
1: Yeah, and but I like seeing those parallels. You know, in in the potluck, there are similar flavors to yeah. that. You know, which is in your product line.
2: Yeah, I like a lot of uh, bright, fresh flavors. So I mean, there's also squash mac and cheese. So um, I like it all. But I, I think my preference, both for a lip balm and for you know what I make, tends to be really fresh.
1: You know, what's so cool about this book is you're going to inspire a whole bunch of people to you know make these dishes, bring it to potlucks. But you're also going to see this reaction to other people trying to make their own potluck dishes and bring those to more potluck. So mm-hmm. you, you've started this this wave of potlucking.
2: I hope so. I,
1: oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I can see the future. Um, what are you most interested to see develop out of, you know, the notion of modern potluck?
2: Let's see. I I'm most interested to see... <laughs> If my family will like the recipes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm actually really excited to see if more people start potlucking. I mean, people do potluck, it's not like it's a new concept, but I'm, I'm curious to see if more people will put as much thought as they do into a dinner party, into a potluck, even if it's less, like hopefully it's less time for them, but just as much care and love.
1: Yeah, and it's not just about Thanksgiving. It's not just about the holidays. It's not about birthday parties. You can potluck any day. Any day. Anytime. Any day. Dinner, lunch, breakfast.
2: Tuesday at 3. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm going to start potlucking right now. Thank you for bringing the snack, sure. for being on, for the Modern Potluck. Again, congratulations. And everyone can see you tonight where? At Powerhouse Arena?
2: Yeah, and they just moved to a new location on Adams Street, right around the corner from their old location.
1: And I'm assuming there might be a potluck?
2: There might be a potluck. There will be a potluck. Um, I have brought a few dishes. Some former coworkers have brought dishes, as well as um, a number of friends, so it's going to be delicious
1: excellent congratulations thank you. and everyone should pick up a copy of modern potluck and get yourselves potlucking as well uh big thank you to mofad for sponsoring uh, music by cookies david for engineering you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org i'm your host michael Harlan turkel hoping to have you back here next tuesday at three cheers